uh, we dealt with um, many things and uh, we came down to the sanctification of the Levites and priests. Do you remember that? Yes or no? Okay. Now, it was vital that um, the Levites were sanctified and uh, before they touched the Ark of the Covenant, and you remember um, that one was slain, who was he? User, and you remember what his name meant? Hmm? Strength. All right, it was natural strength. He tried to steady the Ark of God, and God slew him, smote him. And then Obed-Edom ended up with the Ark of the Covenant in his house, and you'll remember that um, God blessed them, and uh, so we go on. All right? And if you turn with me to 1 Chronicles 15, and you'll find... Um, In 1 Chronicles 15 and uh, verse 14, So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of, of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. And you'll remember that... Um, uh, they sanctified themselves and the, David had said we hadn't brought up the ark after its due order and um, realized that the breach was made upon them because they hadn't gone according to God's word. And today in the Christian church, many people end up in spiritual death because they haven't gone according to God's due order. They try and approach to God or they try and move into the gifts of the Spirit or they move into a realm and they haven't gone according to God's due order. And one of the orders, as they were wanting to bring back the glory of God to the midst of the people, one of the orders um, was that David saw the importance in praise and praising God. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries and hearts and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. Now there was a definite uh, lifting up of the voice with joy. And you'll notice that these singers were to do it not in kind of uh, the way you do it in an Anglican church, make thy chosen people joyful, and everyone looks mournful, and it looks like a funeral, and usually they're half asleep anyway, uh, but it's got to be with joy, and joy is something that's an expression of the heart. And David said, now they've got to appoint singers. And it's interesting that they were specifically named, uh, and so the Levites appointed He-Man, 
and that is nothing to do with his stature. Uh, he man. Well, just in case some of you thought that it was Charles Atlas or someone. He-Man, the son of Joel, uh, and of his brethren, Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of the sons of Merari, their brethren, Ethan and Cushaiah, and with them their brethren of the second degree, Zechariah, Ben, Jeazil, and Shemaroth, and Jehiel, and Uni, and Eliab, and Bania, and whoever he is, <laughs> um, Maasiah, and Mathai, uh, Mat, Mat, <laughs> Mataitha, and um, Elipha, and Mikhnina, and Obed-Edom, and Jael, the porters. Uh, you can see why you should never be a preacher. Uh, now, these are nice Hebrew names, and um, we're going to go through them. You think, well, there they are, they're appointed. Why did God bother to mention who was appointed? Well, because name in uh, Hebrew was always symbolic with nature. And these names have very interesting meanings. And you begin to understand what God's saying when you look and find out what the names mean. And um, the first one you'll notice uh, here is He-Man. And he's appointed um, because he's a faithful son. All right, um, of Joel, and Joel was um, Yah is God, and of his brethren, Asaph, and Asaph was a collector or a gatherer, and he was the son of Yah is blessing. And of the sons of Merari, a Merari means excited. And so they were people who knew how to get excited over something. And Ephan is ancient or strength. And he's the son of bow to God. And so you have... Um, the faithful who acknowledges and comes from the line of Yah is God. You have the gatherer or the collector who comes from the, the lineage of blessings. And you have the strength who comes from bowing or yielding to God. And uh, the lineage of those is important. Now you might think, well, how does it prove out well, it proves out simply in looking. If you look down in, um, let me see. Uh, I think I made a note of it. Um, I did. In Psalm 50. Uh, 
And it says this, in, The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Now where was David's tabernacle? The tent pitched on Mount Zion. All right, now who wrote this psalm? That's right. And you see, he was there before the tabernacle of God. Now it's interesting that his name means a gatherer or a collector. And what it appears that his job was, he used to write down the psalms that came forth prophetically uh, in the tabernacle of David. He was the one that collected them. And you will find lots of the psalms are his psalms. And he gathered up experience and wrote it and then it was put to song sometimes by the chief musician who we're going to come along to in a minute. But all of them uh, had a part to play and God chose the people out specifically that they might have a ministry before him. And you see, they weren't just, you know, well, you're pretty good at music or you've got a degree in this or you'll be that and therefore we'll, we'll choose you out. They, they were specific to their nature as well. And we need to understand that. Um, and you'll, if you look, you'll find many of the Psalms were actually written or taken down by him. And you'll find also, if you go through the Psalms, you'll find it's a Psalm of David sent to the chief musician. The musician put it to music and it was sung before God. Um, many of them came from uh, David when he prophetically sung. So all these names and all the appointments of God in bringing back the presence of God to the people, he chose out men with particular ministries. And one of the most important ministries that was chosen out, besides those who bore the Ark of the Covenant, was the ministry of singing and the ministry of music to the Lord. Now, that's one ministry I know I haven't got. If you hear me sing, you'll know it too. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, that necessarily uh, a man can't lead people in. You see, to bring people into the anointing, uh, a musician can do so. In fact, you will remember uh, the prophet um, it was Elisha called for a musician, a cunning musician, uh, um, to play that he might move into the spirit of prophecy. And so a musician came and played and the prophetic spirit came upon him. You remember that King David often played before Saul and the evil spirit departed from Saul for a season. And so there is a real ministry in the anointing in music on the instruments. And it's not appreciated. And it is important that people realize that, that um, when we minister or people minister on musical instruments, they play a vital part in a meeting. And they can destroy a meeting. I've been in churches where um, I've heard people on the piano and they're quite uh, talented, um, but I know their spiritual state by listening to them play. I can very often, I, I've done it in Liverpool, I walked into a house once 
and I heard someone playing a hymn. Now I couldn't, all I could hear was music from upstairs. I said, that man is demonically affected. Get him off the musical instrument. Now I couldn't see him, all I could do was hear the music. But one knows when you move in that realm what is in the spirit of the person. And that's a vital thing to understand that people's spirits are revealed in the musical instrument. And um, it's not understood. And therefore, it's not little wonder when you get, uh, uh, well, any Tom, Dick or Harry, shall we say. No offence to any of you. But any Tom, Dick and Harry gets on the musical instruments and starts playing in a meeting and they assume, well, it's all right, he's got ability, and in churches they're not very fussy. And how often do you find in a church, not only is the organist um, the chief pain in the neck in a church, uh, who always plays tunes that might be musically wonderful, but no one can ever sing to them. I mean, have you been in churches like that? They choose, you get a beautiful hymn with a lovely tune, and they choose something that's meant to be musical from year, you know, 1272 or something, and they start playing. No one can sing to it. and It's awful. Now, you'll get people like that. Now, the place to put them is in the dustbin, or at least outside. The one place you don't let them is near the musical instruments. Because, you see, if a man hasn't got a calling from God, and an anointing from God, then they're going to move in a realm that will stop the flow of God's Spirit. Now you understand that. So you musicians, you have a tremendous responsibility before God. And you can't just lightly get on a musical instrument. And you can't afford to come to a meeting and think you can just sit down at the organ or... Uh, wherever you're going to sit, and play. If your spirit's not right, then what you play will be ministered from what you are. And I'm afraid you'll affect everyone. You do understand that. Hmm? I can hear it. And it irritates me. I can hear a person's spirit. Now, obviously, it's not everyone that can hear that, but that's why you have people appointed in the body of Christ, and you had definite leaders, and if we go on, we're going to see it. But these people were chosen out. Now, Asaph, there he was, he was a gatherer. As the word and the, and the prophetic song came forth, he rolled it down. And that's important too. And it's important that we move into the prophetic realm and we have songs from God that come prophetically as people can sing. And God is sensible. He's not going to give a prophetic song to someone with a voice like mine. Now the reason he won't do it is because he loves the crows and the nightingales, but he prefers the nightingales to sing, at least if they're going to sing a solo. I, I've been to churches where they move in this prophetic uh, uh, song a lot and you will find that it becomes a thing and any old bloke can get up. I remember I was over in America and this one guy got up 
and started singing. He was so way off. And yet, the first night that I was there, there was a girl who, she played the piano, didn't she, love, was it? Um, and she was playing and she had a right spirit and she began to sing and she, a prophetic song came forth and it was right on. Now I went to four other meetings and I heard prophetic songs. Not one of them was flowing from God. All the rest were just, you know, kind of the old rubbish, Pentecostal rubbish you get. Um, there was no real flow from God. Now, that is a dangerous thing to move into because when you become familiar with things, you despise them. And you see, familiarity does breed contempt, especially in the ways of God. And it's important that we realize that where there are precious things of God, they shouldn't be just used as common. Now, you understand that. That is why the Pentecostals, you go to a meeting of Pentecostal and I can guarantee at a certain point you can almost feel it in the meeting. Someone will start huffing and wheezing and then someone goes off, thinks he's speaking in tongues. Someone else will get up. Thus saith the Lord my people, thou art blessed and I shall bless you and I shall do this and do that and you're wonderful. And you look round at the congregation and you think, well, either Lord you're wearing rose-tinted glasses or there's something awfully wrong here because you're not saying that to me. And um, the whole thing becomes devalued because it, it becomes something that's uh, of no worth. For instance, if a real word comes from God, firstly, it'll be conditional. When God speaks, he speaks conditionally. If you do this, I'll do that. I'll do this if you'll do that. But he doesn't just give unconditional promises to his people. He never has and never will. Because that violates the ways and principles of God. Now I know that the present move, you know, where the uh, free grace likes to believe it's all unconditional. You know, come and get it boys. It's God's out. But it's not, God's not like that at all. It's very conditional. And words that come, you will find, always have the condition attached, don't they? Have you noticed that? Read the scriptures and read the promises of God and you'll find if you do this, I'll do that. I'll bless you if you keep my commandments. I'll come and make my abode with you if you'll obey me. I'll do this if you'll do that. God gives the Holy Spirit to them who obey him. If you love me, Keep my commandments. All right? There's always conditions. God never comes along and just willy-nilly says, I'm going to bless you. Because it violates his nature. God is righteous. And therefore, God always deals in righteousness. It would be awful if you had children and you just blessed them and blessed them and never disciplined them. You've met children like that, haven't you? of parents who spoil them. They become little brats. I mean, I believe in a child. Uh, a child must be trained from an early age, and if they won't obey, they get a smack on their rump, and they learn to obey. And the Scripture says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. 
and psychologists and social workers today destroy whole communities with their hogwash about, lack, you know, you don't discipline that way. Well, that's the way God commanded it, and that's the way it is, and that's the way we live. Amen? You know, if God said it, that's it. If a social worker wants to argue, well, he can take a funny run, as far as I'm concerned. If school teachers want to do it a different way, that's their responsibility. God will deal with them in due time. But as for us, we have a responsibility, and the way we teach and the way we walk is the biblical way. Totally narrow-minded. Never become broad enough to become modern. Amen. Hope you feel that way. I do. That's the way we're going. And um, it's interesting to notice that when he appoints these singers, he says in verse 16, by lifting up the voice with joy. And um, lifting up of the voice, if you turn with me to Psalm 89... Psalm 89 and verse 15. Here's a condition. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Who shall? You see, it's conditional. They're blessed, those people who know the joyful sound, and if you don't know the joyful sound, there's one thing you won't do. <laughs> Walk in the countenance of the Lord. You see, it's one or the other. Now, blessed are those that know it. Now, um, it's also interesting to notice that seven times in the Psalms, um, the, the phrase is used, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And it's used seven times in the Psalms. It's in Psalm 66, verse 1, Psalm 81, verse 1, Psalm 95, verse 1, Psalm 95, verse 2, Psalm 98, verse 4, Psalm 98, verse 6, and Psalm 100, verse 1. Um, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And both these words in Hebrew... Blessed are those that know the joyful sound and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The Hebrew means what, would you think? Well, it means shout. And uh, you go to a lot of places and uh, people say to me, well, they can put up with singing in the Spirit, but they don't like shouting. Well, I've never had a problem with shouting myself. Uh, I believe that shouting is something that comes naturally and I find it easier than singing. Uh, so, there we are. I find I can shout in tune if I can't sing in tune. Uh, you can shout and make a joyful noise. Now God commands us to make a joyful noise and he says uh, in verse 15, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Now, a lot of people have never known what it is to shout praise to God. They've never known what it is to really lift up their voice to God in joy. And 
You cannot. And believe me, there is nowhere in Scripture where it says, let us wait on God in silence. We'll spend a few moments in silence before the Lord. Or let us have reverence. God says, make a joyful noise. And the whole of our attitude should be to make a joyful noise. People come to me and they say, Michael, well, you know, I, I, I like your meetings, but uh, there's no quiet. Well, so what? Where's the biblical base for it? There isn't one. And therefore, I prefer to do what's biblically right, don't you? And God commands us to make a joyful noise. Now, most people get inhibited about that, you know, shouting and, uh, and praising. You have to be real, because it's very hard to do those things unless it's inside, isn't it? You feel kind of inhibited and locked up, don't you? Eh? I mean, to shout, you have to have something real inside to shout about. Hmm? Go to a football match and your team loses, you won't find it easy to shout. Because, I, I mean, it's a depressing thing, your team's lost. I, I mean, your whole emotional being couldn't go with defeat. And when people are defeated in something, they're not going to go and shout about it, are they, with joy? Hmm? And that's one of the things, you know, we're an emotional creature and we've got emotions within us and, and these emotions need, you know, bringing into line with God and you can make a joyful noise unto the Lord and, and to make a joyful noise you've got to have joy inside. Hmm? Haven't you? And so, you see, one of the things it does is it starts changing your insides. When you start trying to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, one of the things you do is you discover that inside yourself there are things that will go contrary to that. Now those are the things that need breaking down. They're the things you need deliverance from. So when you make a joyful noise and you set your will to make a joyful noise, you'll snap things inside. And you will discover that when you rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, said Paul, and as I've said so many times, it means jump up and down and spin around like a top. That's what the Greek word means, rejoice. It doesn't mean stand up and worship or something stupid like uh, some religions would have us believe. It means that you get up and you shout and you jump and you holler and you make a joyful noise. That's rejoicing. Isn't it? When I fell in love, I learned how to rejoice. And I did it with a loud noise. Amen. Well, why not? Didn't you? So, well, I didn't do it that way. Well, I better fall in love then. Um, there, there's something you, you, your whole being's excited, set on fire. Amen? Well, that's the way it is, you know with someone, say, well, you're an extrovert. Well, I'm very shy, really. <laughs> no one ever believes it, but it's true. 
and <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the truth you'll ask the Lord if you don't believe me um, he'll tell you and, and one of the things is it's a principle in God that as we begin to make a joyful noise we move into the spirituals and you move into the realm of the spirit and your whole being's caught up if you go look on the natural realm now we'll talk about the natural before we go to the spiritual you will notice that uh, in uh, anything uh, where where say that let's take sport that as people begin to shout and begin to cheer they get carried away and people can excel themselves beyond their own ability because there's a kind of spirit power that drives them forward have you noticed that hmm? if people all get to cheering you and, and shouting and, and hollering somehow you it draws out of your reserve that you didn't even know you had inside and a determination and a grit and their spirit gets joined with your spirit and you get forced along even beyond your own abilities now that's what happens at a football match it'll happen at a tug of war water polo match wherever you are that'll happen if there's a real spirit in the place and that's why home football teams love to play, you know, football teams love to play before their home crowd because the roar of their fans cheering them on causes them to excel and the booing and the cheering as the opponents come doesn't help the opponents too much, you know? Nor do the empty beer bottles they throw at them. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the whole thing brings your spirit along. And it's amazing, but if someone talks to you in a positive vein uh, and, and really encourages you, you, you can get carried along by it. But if someone keeps telling you how terrible you are, then you'll get depressed by it. Um, and it depends on um, how it's done. Of course, if someone brings you to conviction of sin and gets you to repent of it, you will feel terrible and you jolly well need to till you put your life right. You won't get encouragement from God. But the thing is that we need the encouragement and we need to see that uh, one of the, the enemies of a real work of God is, is the discouragers. People will come to you and say, well, it won't work, you know. I tried it. It doesn't work. Well, I thought we could have victory, but... I, I went to... When I first came into the things of the Spirit, uh, I didn't... Um, when I first came into the things of the Spirit, I didn't know too much about what was happening. I mean, I just had this great joy and love of God, and I'd go to meetings, and I'd just praise God with all my heart, and and uh, this fellow came up to me he'd been 12 years along the road brother and he came up to me and you know pulled me on one side odd was his name with a y on the end and um literally 
And he, he pulled me aside and he said, well, he said, I just want to tell you something. I said, oh, what's that, brother? He said, um, it won't last. <laughs> I said, what won't last? He said, your joy. He said, I walked on the clouds for three weeks. He said, but it won't last. You'll come down to earth and then you'll come down to your valley experience. And I looked at him and I thought, I don't want to come down to a valley experience. I mean, look at the miserable old fella. He was about 40, I think, 35 or 40. Look, he looked as miserable as sin, which was what he was in. And um, I just said to him, well, it's lasted me nine months. And I said, if it can last me nine months, it can last me 90 years. I said, I'm not going to stop. Well, he said, you'll find out. Well, I have found out, and he was wrong. I can say that now. I can't remember how many years down the road it is. Good 15. But man, you know, but you'll find people like that. They'll come up, well, you know. Of course, in my younger days, I had this, you know. You ever heard people, they come up and say, I know, I understand all your enthusiasm, but you'll get over it, you know. Well, I never have. And I never will, and nor did King David, and nor of any of the saints of God. You see, if you're in God and you go on with God, you won't get over it. People who get over it are the ones who go back into sin, or the ones who never had a real experience anyway. That's the truth of it. Anyone who goes about, it's like um, I was told once a minister had had a nervous breakdown, and I said, well, people who are born again don't have nervous breakdowns. And that's a fact. We receive the mind of Christ. And that's it. And they tell me, well, you know, it can happen to anyone. Well, of course it can. Going to sin, it'll happen. But you don't have to, do you? And I believe that we can be of a whole sound mind, don't you? Totally mad. Uh in the world's eyes but totally sane and sound in God's and that's the way it is amen I believe in that and I know it's true because I've proved it why I lived with one fellow who ended up having a nervous breakdown didn't bother me he had the nervous breakdown I didn't and he was meant to be the spiritual one he used to sit there on the edge of my bed and he kind of quote his doctrines and I'd say well in the Bible somewhere it'll say so and so and so and so and he used to look it up and he said after six months of living with me every doctrine he held dear had been totally blown apart I didn't know the Bible I just used to sit there and God had told me well there was a scripture somewhere that said so and so and so and so and I'd quote it to him and he'd look it up find that all his doctrines were wrong so I gave up doctrine at that point thought it's no good having doctrine Someone else might sit on the edge of a bed and tell me I'm wrong. So I, I just stick to following God. No systemized doctrine. I mean, we've come to know a person, Jesus Christ. Not come to know a set of, of little rigid beliefs. That's usually how they'll leave you, rigid. And you'll become, you know, full of rigor mortis. When people get rigid, you know, that's the end of them. 
unless you're like the American who, who kind of woke up as they were about to cut him apart, I see the other night. I don't know if any of you saw it. Started taking organs out of dead, dead people who weren't dead. Not very nice, is it? Wake up and suddenly discover a surgeon's removing your kidneys. Excuse me, could you put those back? I'm still alive. <laughs> I mean, you know. I turned it off. It looked squeamish to me. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's right. They were taking, you know. Chap, they're laying him out. Can they cut him up? And he started blinking. And um, I'd have blinked too if I'd been there. <laughs> discovered he was still he's, he's alive now terrible isn't it and the English doctors said it couldn't happen here <laughs> well you never believe anything a doctor says anyway do you hey <laughs> Albert <laughs> you know, but yeah did you see that program Albert you never watched you should you learn a lot <laughs> one of the reasons people don't go on you know you learn you learn you learn from everything <laughs> yeah, they, they got this you know it's total digression they got this chap and um, there were four people all given up as dead and they were going to cut them up and take parts of them and shop them round to other people the supermarket, and they discovered that they were still alive. I mean, it's pretty rough. Imagine if they take your heart when you're still alive. You know, it can be awkward to carry on living. And they try to convince, um, try to convince everyone that it was um, never happened here. Uh, that's what much learning does. Anyway, if you turn with me to Jonah chapter 2, verse uh, 9. And you remember there was a little chap called Jonah in uh, Jonah chapter 2. It'll be on page 1150 if you've got a Cambridge. right in it Joe if you haven't got a good authorised Cambridge version you should get one don't use perversions um, and in um, in the scriptures there it says um, Jonah was swallowed by this big fish now it wasn't a whale at least it doesn't say it was a whale uh, and, you know, if you want to be biologically correct, I suppose a whale isn't a fish, it's a mammal, isn't that right? Am I right? Yeah. I did learn something at school. Um, but, basically, I suppose it could have been a whale, or it could have been a big fish. Anyway, it was swallowed by whatever it was. And I would never fancy that. In fact, now when I go swimming, especially around Hawaii, when you know there are sharks waiting for their lunch just over a coral reef. And it's something that I find, I tended to swim when I was snorkeling, and I always kept a lookout, you know, just in case one of them decided that they really didn't mind the coral reefs, because I had no intention of being 
breakfast for one of them. But the thing is, here this Jonah was swallowed by this fish, and it says in chapter 2, verse 9, um, and he's... he's um, Oh, let's take verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Now, I think if I was in the fish's belly, I might do that. I'd cry because of my affliction, wouldn't you? Um, And then he goes on uh, in verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. In other words, he gets down to thanksgiving and praise at the end of his prayer. And at that point, the fish can't take it any longer and spits him out. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. Amen. Well, there you are. Hope it doesn't turn your stomach. But there, just out he went. Now, he, he went out when he got to the point of praise. And making a shout with a loud voice. He started thank, giving thanksgiving to God. And it has an effect. And turn with me to, to Acts chapter 16. Oh no, don't turn to it. In verse 19 to 34, you'll remember is Paul and Silas. And they're put in this prison and they'd been beaten and their backs were bleeding and they were put in the chains and they began to sing praises to God and then God caused an earthquake and you remember that the prison doors were open and their chains fell off. Do you remember the story? Now it happened when they got to a state of praise in their affliction and then you turn to 2 Chronicles 20. And 2 Chronicles 20, verse... Um, verse 21. And when he consulted with the people... and this is Jehoshaphat, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. And you remember, Judah means praise. Judah, the word means praise in the Hebrew. Now, the king appointed singers and the singers sung and when the singers sung and praised God, God dealt with the enemies. Now one of the things that happens in in the church today is the concentration is on demonology and deliverance instead of on praise and worship. Now if you get into real praise and worship, God will set ambushments. He's got plenty of angels to deal with the angels of darkness. We don't need that. What we do is praise God in the beauty of holiness and devils will fear and fly. 
In other words, we move into the realm of praise. And so it is throughout Scripture. When you're in affliction, learn how to praise God. And he'll deliver you. And I mean, you imagine uh, Jonah in a, a belly of a fish. I, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like. It must have been pretty smelly, I would think. And, you know, half-digested stuff all around. I mean, you know... I mean, it's not the kind of place where you want to shout hallelujah or give thanks. But he cried unto the Lord and he began to give thanks unto his God and <coughs> fish spat him out. And that's the way it goes. And, and if you feel you're kind of swallowed with circumstances and everything about you... You want to start praising God for his goodness. Now, don't praise him for the circumstance. Jonah didn't, you know, there's this Merlin Carruthers. He's more like Merlin. Mervin, is it? Oh, I don't know. What is it? Merlin. Well, it's about, right, he should have belonged to Arthur and the round table. I mean, the rubbish he writes. Now, you don't praise God for being the belly of the fish. Jonah didn't get up and say, thank you, Lord, you've got this thing to swallow me. Uh, you know, I'm going to praise you for that. I mean, he wanted to get out of the belly of the fish. His heart and his eyes and his thoughts were toward God. And he ignored the fish. After mentioning his affliction, he started to get to thanksgiving to God. And you see, these people have... Uh, have try to say, well, you praise God for the circumstance. You can't. How can someone who's got cancer say, oh God, I thank you for cancer? Stupidity! You want to thank God when you're rid of it, don't you? And you see, that kind of teaching is ridiculous. You get people, no, if you've got a, a situation in your life, you don't thank God for the misery of it. You start praising God for who and what he is, and set your heart to believing him and God will deliver you from it. If you start praising and thanking God for the thing, you'll leave it there. Start thank God for it. Of course you don't. It's short, thick as two short planks, some of you. Now, I mean, a man's written books. They're, they're five books he's made money out of, praised himself through two wives. Don't know if he's on the third by now. I mean, you don't want to believe that rubbish. The fact is that obviously you don't praise God for calamity. Do you? You have to distinguish and get the idea of praise into the right perspective. Now Jehoshaphat sent these singers out the front of the army and he didn't say, now go out there and praise God that the enemy's coming. I mean, he said, go and praise God in the beauty of holiness. Go out before the army and sing praises unto God. Don't praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you've sent me to the front of this army and I'm to praise you and the enemy's just there, Lord, and I'm getting anxious. <laughs> I thank you I'm in this circumstance. I, I would think if I was sent off with, with a trumpet to blow and some songs to sing right in the front of an army and I could see the enemy rattling their sabres and I'd only got a pair of cymbals. I don't think I'd be praising God 
saying, oh, thank you, I'm here, oh. You know, I mean, the lunacy. I'd be trying to find, you know, a way to, to shout the general's famous battle cry, follow me, chaps, I'm right behind you. I mean, I, I, the last place I want to be is in the front, <laughs> wouldn't you? I, but you see, that's the mentality, and they've twisted things, and people really believe it. You can talk to some people, and they'll start saying, oh, you must praise God for that, brother. And it's an awful thing that's happened. I mean, how can you praise God for it? Of course you can't. Stupid, isn't it? Well, don't do it anymore. Any of you? Stop. But that's the way that you see they, they, they kind of built this thing up, praise, into, into the wrong state until you're praising God for stupid things. Okay, if God deals with you, you can be thankful in your heart that the dealings of God are going on in your life. But please realize the dealings of God are to an end to bring you out of your sin and into his life. They're not there so you can thank him for them and wallow in your filth like a hippopotamus in the mud. Um, you've got to learn. And that's all. Okay, well, we're going on. It's all got something to do with David's tabernacle. It's just finding it. Um, <laughs> tabernacle, I mean. Uh, and that was one of the things. You see, when these singers were appointed, they were appointed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. They weren't appointed to start coming to God and telling him their misery. Uh, that's what some people do in their prayers. Go to a prayer meeting and they'll start. You can always tell. Off they go and you, you get a catalogue of their disasters. As if God didn't know already what a disaster area they were. And they pour out their disaster and despondency on everyone else in the meeting. And their unbelief and their bondage, how did it all comes? And what's even worse, someone who thinks he's free and is usually more bound starts trying to correct them in his next prayer. So you get what's called kind of prayer warfare. I've been in meetings like that where one's praying against the other. You think, oh, Father. You know, none of them have got their eyes on God. All, all they can think about is themselves. Terrible. When you come together, okay, share the, the, the requests of your heart with thanksgiving. Now that doesn't mean that you thank God, you know. Lord, I'm miserable this morning, thank you. I mean, you know, how stupid can you get? You thank God for the positive things. I mean, there's one positive thing. You woke up. I mean, you can thank God for that. Many didn't. You, you know, there's always something positive to thank God for, isn't there? Hmm? It's a way you enter into the Spirit with thanksgiving and, and joy. And it's, it's kind of infectious, it gets you. 
It's an infectious joy. The joy of the Lord's your strength. And you've got to have that strength. There is a joy in God and in serving God and being faithful to God. You know, okay, there's opposition, but you can glory in it. Don't glory for it. Glory in it. Different. Don't start thinking you're you know, a wonderful person because you've got opposition. Probably you deserve half of it, some of you. Anyway, we're going on now back to um, Nineveh. No, where are we? Um, back to 1 Chronicles 15. But that's where Jonah ended up, back at Nineveh. He still had to do what God had commanded him to do, didn't he? And that's really, any trial or affliction you go through, God's only going to land you back on the same shore. And he'll use circumstances to do it. So it's better just to get the thing done at the start. Get it right at the start. No point in messing around. God will get you if you don't. And that's it. And then we go on, and he, he, all these brethren were appointed, you know, Asaph and these. And then we go on, and with them, they're brethren of the second degree. It's nothing to do, we're not coming to the third degree afterwards, so don't worry. The second degree. Now, it's interesting that uh, they're people of the second degree, but we'll go on with their names first. First one is um, Zechariah, and that means... Uh, Yah is renowned. Interesting, a man with a name like that. And Ben, it's a famous name, uh, means intelligent. And Yah Azil. God's determining. And then uni is the answers with Yah, or the answers with God. And Eliab is God his father. And Beniah is Yah is intelligence or wisdom. And the next one is, Yar is a refuge. Maasiah. And then Mattithiah is gift of God. Eliphala is Yar is distinction. Mikneah is Yah is zealous, or God is zealous. And of course, Obed Edom, as you know, is server, and Jael is um, God snatches away, and they were the two porters. 
Okay, they were just two porters. All right, and these were brethren of the second degree. Now, uh, it's interesting when you start studying it um, that you will find... Um, Second in Hebrew, you can get them afterwards. Um, second in Hebrew means a copy or double. And degree means a cent. And um, so what they were, they were singers of the higher part of the harmony. And you'll find out why when you go on. Uh, they were of um, the second degree. All right, the higher part of the harmony. So the singers, verse 19, Heman, Asaph, and Ephan were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. And I want you to notice that cymbals are important, and Heman and Asaph, who were the first two mentioned, actually sounded the cymbals. So it's not anyone who fancies, picks up a tambourine and bangs it, uh, you know, or cymbals. It's important that people see that that can interrupt the flow of God and you're playing before God. They're not just, uh, you know, you have cymbals in a meeting just to make a noise. Okay, they're important. And they were symbols of brass. And they were very important... And then verse 20, Zechariah and Ezeel and oh, the rest of them were with psalteries on Almanoth. And um, psalteries were harps. And they were harps that were shaped like guitars. And they had the, a curve in their backs. Um, so they got a far richer sound than, uh, you know, we just have harps which are stringed instruments and, and the board and the, the, uh, the echo comes through the bottom part and the back part, whereas when they had harps there, they were actually more like guitars and the whole of the back of it where the, um, I suppose you call it sound box, do you, uh, was a curved thing and it gave a far richer and fuller and more mellow sound. And um, Alamoth, uh, is actually um, comes from the word Alma which means a virgin and uh, the word Alma, Alamoth means a soprano or a treble and so these um, soldiers were of, on a treble they were high sounding and they were of a treble or soprano chosen out. The people were specifically named who were to play on the treble instruments, these harps. And um, if we go on um, with sultries, I mean, which were the um, guitar-like thing. Okay, we go on, and then we go to uh, <laughs> the next lot, and uh, with harps on the shimineth to excel. And that's verse 21. And it's interesting, the Shimonith 
And these harps were harps, like we have harps. The psalteries were kind of harps that were plucked with the finger, but like guitars, these were harp harps, all right? So don't harp on it. Lyres. Uh, you know the type of thing that you see uh, depicted in books? They were like that. Um, and they were plucked as well. But they were of a different type because uh, Sheminif is uh, the eighth note. And so they were an octave below. They were eight notes lower. In other words, they were the bass voice. And so, in any orchestra, you've got uh, high-sounding cymbals, you've got the soprano, or the treble, and you've also got the bass included, because God wanted a balanced orchestra. And it's interesting that when you start looking back, you find that all these things were planned out. And when you had musicians, you... God made sure that these were all together. Now, obviously, the men I'd, I'd sung. Now, I'm not suggesting any of them sung soprano, because uh, they were men over 30 years of age, as you remember. And, but there's no doubt about it that they had all these different um, uh, musical instruments, and... It's also interesting to note that some of the psalms were written only for sopranos. Some were written uh, for uh, bass alone. And it tells you in the psalms, for instance, I'll just give you an example, uh, if I wrote it down, which I might not have done yet. Psalm 46. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not feel, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Uh, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now it also says in the Jewish, if you go back into the Jewish, um, uh, whatever you call it, their book, uh, you will discover that this was a song to be sung by the virgins in the dance. 
and uh, it was a song that's particularly for the women sopranos to sing and dance to. And quite a lot of the psalms were written for the women to dance to. And you'll find that the women, you remember when uh, Miriam led the women in dancing when they were delivered from the Egyptians. She took a timbrel and she led the virgins out in a dance. And uh, in Judaic times, it was quite often a custom that the women would get together and sing and dance and praise God. And that's a good thing to do. And the men also got together and there's a psalm for the men, uh, if I wrote it down, which I didn't, I don't think. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't make a note. I didn't look one up. But there are psalms... Six. Okay, we'll turn to Psalm 6, David says. Okay, and you will notice that one was praising God and was on high instruments, and this one um, is dealing with repentance. And you will notice that it's on the base, uh, Sheminith. And you will find that the mood of a meeting will be taken very much by the music. In fact, if you cannot praise with a, 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 a chorus that's in a low key, have you ever noticed if you play something in C, it's harder to praise than if you play it in E or F. No, have I got that the right way around? I have, haven't I? Yeah, suddenly thought I hadn't. Um, the reason for that in the different keys is because as you go up, your heart is more attuned to joy. If you get a, a deep, deep kind of song, you will find you just can't praise. And that's why also you will notice if you get anything in minor keys, like most of the Israeli songs are in minor keys, very hard to praise God to. They're always mournful. Um, and that's why I don't like singing in minor keys because it takes your spirit down. The music, just the tone of the music takes your spirit down. That's why you'll find armies will use musical instruments. And you, you have an army marching with Zuzer or something. You know, have you ever heard of him? Uh, plays um, military marches. Uh, um, he plays the military marches and you will find that they're very boom, boom, boom and, and you know, you can march to them and there's tunes that will excite you just try uh, I'm sure you've been told just turn the television down at a point and, and don't listen to the sound and the whole atmosphere goes turn it on and the music in the background sets the atmosphere you know whether there's tension, because if there is... Duh, 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 and, uh, but, I mean, get the wrong music to that scene, and, and you somehow, it loses credibility. Uh, and the same way with music in a meeting. If, it's, if you get a joyful tune, when everyone's wanting to weep and repent, and get right with God, 
the, the thing loses credibility. And if you get the words don't match the tune, that's why a lot of the hymns and a lot of the choruses, I can't stand them, because the tune doesn't match the words. And you find that uh, it, your, your whole being can't take hold of a truth if the truth that you're speaking isn't matched by the atmosphere created in your spirit by the tune. And therefore you'll find that choruses, you can find 50 choruses, but only one really fits. Because somehow the words and the tune just are right. The mood of the words is captured in the tune. And that is really what happens when you get, um, that used to happen when you got a pop tune. Somehow in the world they recognized that a certain combination of words locked in with a certain tune w was a winner. Now no one could actually identify what it was, but when it came it used to fly to the top of the charts. But what it was is they, someone had hit right in the spirit. Unfortunately, they're ministering an evil spirit. And, you know, you saw like the Beatles merely manifested what they were a few years later. Um, and their spirit caught hold and was able to attune. And if you listen to John Lennon, now you, 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 you know his songs. I don't, but I mean, I've heard one or two. Um, and you'll find his songs show his spirit. And, and the people are drawn to them because they have spirit force and power behind them. And those things need to be blended together. Now, God knew when he chose out the singers that he needed a blending. And David knew when Psalms came forth, he said, now you set that to the bass, set that to the treble. Uh, do it this way, do it that way. Those are the musicians you use there. You want to sing it high. This is for the maidens and the virgins to dance to. This is for people, you know, the bass to sing it. And the whole thing set the worship of God before the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. And when we come into a church and into a meeting, the music sets the tone. So music in a church is a vital part of worship. And God was very specific. The people were named, chosen out and named. And then you'll find in, in um, the chief um, was um, Chenaniah, chief of the Levites, was for song. And he instructed about song because he was skillful. Now, the word Chenaniah means established of God. And that man was established of God and God gave him special skill. He had sensitivity to know how to move the whole of the worship in the tabernacle. He was the one who said, you sing or you sing. He was the one who said, we'll play on these instruments. He was the one who was responsible for the whole composing. And he also trained people in musical instruments. Now, it wasn't because he had a degree, because I don't know that they had music universities then. Uh, but what he did have 
is he had a sensitivity to God's Spirit and God by the anointing, and it says, his name says that he's um, established of God and God established that ministry and that ministry is a vital ministry in the church and in worship. Uh, And you see in the church today, it's not appreciated that that music is a vital part of the ministry. Without proper music and without someone who's established of God, you will get nowhere. Now that is why I'm very choosy and I believe, and you know, let's be frank about it, um, for instance, that Mary has a gift from God in music. Now, she is singularly gifted of God. Now, she can instruct others, but basically it's going to be her responsibility. You say, well, she's not the best qualified. No, she might not be but she has the best qualification of all. She's established of God. And that, to me, is that's the end of the argument. You understand that? That's it. That's where the whole thing lies. Are we going by natural ability or are we going by what's established of God? Well, I'm going by what's established of God and you go your own way if you want to go different. It's got to be what God has established. And so you will get... Now, natural abilities are deadly in this realm because you move in your human strength and ability. And look what happened to Yuza. He ended up dead. And people try to uh, bring about the worship of God by using techniques. In America, they told me, they said, well, brother, uh, we could come over. One woman said to me, she said, well, I could come over to your church and within a fortnight, I'd get your people to be able to move in singing the song of the Lord. I thought, yeah, I bet you would. But you'd get it by manipulation and using natural means. Now, yes, we do use the music, and it is a natural means, but it has to be given of God. Now, when it's given of God, and then God's Spirit begins to flow, fine. But You can learn the principles and you can flow in the principles and you can end up with disaster. God won't violate his principles. In other words, you could learn a technique and actually that technique will work. But that doesn't mean it's God. So a good musician could listen to someone who's really established of God and could copy and we would get counterfeit. Now, to anyone who didn't know, you would think you were flowing in the same thing. That's what's so dangerous. Once you move into this realm, you're moving into a realm where it's very, very dangerous. Because the counterfeit can flow so easily. And you see, not everyone can discern which is which. And therefore, you, you have in the church those that are set. Now you'll notice that there was one person who instructed these Levites. Who was it? Hmm? No, the king. The king was over them. The king told them to sanctify. The king said, right, didn't he? Hmm? So you see, we've got to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ and his kingship and rulership. 
Now, there are different realms where you see... Now, these were the Levites, not the priests. So the priest is the one who ministers the word of God in the priestly office, and the kingly office is it's a ministry of the word of God. Now, the musicians came under the priests in the sense of if you want an ascending order. Now, please don't get the idea of submission because I don't believe in the teaching that's propounded by idiots who want power. I mean, the fact is that obviously you've got to have one person who leads. Otherwise you get chaos in the same in the music. But the music is a servant of the church, never the lord of it. And the music in the ark, in the tabernacle rather, was to be a servant. And they were bringing up the ark. The music was to get them somewhere. It wasn't something that was an end in itself. Music had to accomplish something. You see, they were going to take that ark from where it was to Mount Zion. So the music and the praise was to get them from point A into where the God's ark was going to rest. You understand that? It wasn't just for its own sake. And then the music was to bring forth the prophetic word. Once it was within the tabernacle, the music was used to bring forth the prophetic word. And there is no doubt about it that a meeting where there's a real flow, you will move into the prophetics very easily. Once the flow of God in the music comes, it is easy for anyone with a real gift of prophecy to move in the prophetics. I find it's very easy if we go into the song of the Lord and the meeting's high enough and the anointing on the meeting's high, it's very easy to move into prophecy, visions, and every other realm in the spirit um, and to be able to minister and function in them. Uh, if you have gifting in that realm. Uh, not that necessarily you would just move in for the sake of moving in. Uh, you will discover that I don't move very much in the prophetics. Not that I despise prophecy, but I so believe the prophetic word is so valuable that to make it a common thing is not a wise thing to do. And therefore, I prefer to see little of it but what does come forth, comes forth with power and direction to deal with things. That's prophecy. The Pentecostal idea of you haven't had a good meeting if you don't have three prophecies is a load of hogwash, as far as I'm concerned. What I want is words coming with real power when they come. People know it's God speaking. Don't you? You see, but making it common... Or just moving when the anointing's low. Yeah, we can do it if you want. No problem. Uh, stir up the gift that's in you, that's easy. But I would prefer to wait till there's a real high anointing and God moves at a deep level. Otherwise we end up with pop-off prophecies, you know. Thus saith the Lord, thou art wonderful, my people. I love you. I shall bless you and encourage you. Keep right on to the end of the road. Cheerio, my people, I'm going now. Um, I mean, you, you people prophesy like that. I mean, what rubbish. I mean, it doesn't accomplish anything, does it? What it does do, though, is it denigrates the, the precious things of God. 
go to meeting after meeting where you hear these pop-off prophecies and and really when you go to the people and uh, you find that it hasn't established anything in the life and the word of God when it comes forth must be something that breaks things and establishes things and is conditional you do understand that don't you and that's what I, I want to hear I don't want to hear the other kind of prophecies and um, you'll find the words come forth and they'll come forth clear but it's waiting till the meeting's got the right anointing on it now you understand what I'm saying hmm? now you see the music brings that about and so the people who are musicians need to really seek God and pray and you'll remember that the Levites bore the ark which is the presence of God upon their shoulders in other words it takes effort it doesn't come naturally it's no good thinking because you can play a tune uh, therefore you'll bring the presence of God it takes fasting, prayer and seeking God's face to be able to minister and you see that isn't what's done you understand that for anyone to really have a ministry in song or in music they need to spend at least two hours a day just waiting on God not, not practicing, waiting on God and seeking God's face and if you won't pay that price you'll never really minister if they're playing a musical instrument same thing holds true see there is a price to pay now we want the glory of God in the midst don't we hmm? we want the things to work but then the people who have been gifted have got a function and while I'm on it um, just comes to my mind I talked about tithing our time and some people were somewhat horrified they thought well if I give 2.4 hours a day uh, beyond uh, I, I, I spend two hours at a Bible study well I would think then you had to spend 0.4 of an hour more to have just tithed your time you haven't given anything to God that's just kind of quits you know you do understand that uh, but obviously if you're spending time in meetings that's time given over to God isn't it and a man must tithe not only his money but his time and therefore obviously if you go to a meeting you spend three hours in a meeting you spent three hours with God that day haven't you didn't want you to misunderstand and think I was suggesting you spent 2.4 hours more in meetings and everything uh, otherwise you might find you were getting tired <laughs> trying to keep up uh, someone told me you might have some of you might have got that wrong what I'm talking about now don't forget if you give 2.4 hours of the day to God you're only giving him what's his you haven't actually spent time with him sacrificially but if you come to a meeting and you spend three hours in a meeting well you you've given your time to God you see so saying well you know we have Bible studies uh, on a Wednesday and a Friday true you do but it's only two hours you've got another point four of an hour to go that day and you 
don't you get Saturdays off, you have to make up for that. And Mondays. In fact, you get too much time off. <laughs> uh, and you have to see that you, it's important. But you see, we tend to be so miserly, we, we think God's kind of stealing from us. It's us who's stealing from him. Have to see it in the right light, don't you? Hmm? Every day you get up and say, I owe God 2.4 hours before I give him anything. Every day. Seven days. If you're going to tie the time. Now, of course, something else I wanted to mention while I come back to it, you know, it's just... It's all to do with the Tabernacle of David. You'll find out later, because I'm coming on to that. But on tithing, um, let me say something about tithing of um, time. And then let me say something about tithing of gifts, too. Um, If I tithe, then I give a tenth. That's one-tenth is God's anyway. That belongs to God. One-tenth of everything I earn belongs to God. Now, you do understand that. That's not mine, it's God's. I haven't given God anything by tithing. That's God's, it belongs to him. You understand that, don't you? And if I don't give it to God, I rob God. Now, when I tithe, that tenth goes to God. Well, it's rather like this. If I go and uh, I think Ed's illustration is best, if I go to a Bernie's to have a steak, I don't pay the bill at Wimpy's. In other words, if I live in a church and the ministry in the church is where I get my blessing, then my tithe belongs where the blessing is and where God set me. That's the tenth. Now, if I want to give a love offering elsewhere, that comes out of something else. You do understand that. If a visiting speaker comes in and I want to give him a love offering, that's fine. Well, then I give him a love offering. No, don't give it out of the tie. That doesn't belong. That, that's already God's. Belongs where I belong. All right? Now, you understand, those are principles in God. Because, you see, the person that visits, he comes from somewhere else. Would be like paying. Would like be like paying the bill in Wimpy's after I'd had a steak in Bernie's. I mean, you, I think you'd probably get chased by someone out of Bernie's. Say, now just a minute. Can't you say? Well, I'm going to pay the bill over there. You say, say, no, you're not. You ain't here. Not there. People don't understand that. Find that there's there's a you know people say to me, well. Um, well, I, mean, I can think of one example. Dear old Rob, when he first came, he was paying Christian aid to buy arms to shoot people with, weren't you, Rob? Was it Christian aid? And he said to me about it, he said he wasn't too sure about it. He felt uneasy. Well, I think he should. <laughs> that was part of his tithe, going to murderers. And do you know you partake in their evil deeds if you give money to that? I hope none of you give to silly things like Oxfam. You give, you know, if you give to God, make sure you give to God. Because you become a partaker in where that money goes to. Part of your life goes with it. 
because you earned that money with your life, didn't you? You gave time to earn the money. So it's part of your life you're giving away. And so when you tithe, you're giving to God part of your life. Now that's in material terms, but then you have to give him part of your life in actual terms. Now does that make it clear to everyone? Hmm? So what? Well, it's very hard. Why, my wife spoke to someone the other day after I'd mentioned that last week, and this person said, well, well, I don't know that I could do that. <coughs> Tithe, no, I think I love things too much for that. Well, that's fine, you can't have God. <laughs> as simple as that. You're robbing him. He won't open the windows of heaven. You'll put the shutters up and say, I think you'll get through to me, you won't. Heaven becomes brass. And it's all to do with, with giving. A lot of people's lives go into terrible mistakes because they haven't got it right and their hard attitude isn't right. You understand what I'm saying, do you? So remember, if you go to Burnley's, don't pay at Wimpy's. Uh, and you have to learn the principle. All right? I'm only making it very plain because some people are, are confused and therefore I make things plain and then no one can say in that day Lord he never told me because I'll say I'll remember on the 14th Tuesday the 14th Lord I got up and you remember and an angel had inscribed it down in your book he heard it Father there it is he didn't do it, but he heard it. That's the way it is. Hmm. So beyond that, we give. So after 2.4 hours, you begin to give to God, you see. Every day, 2.4 hours, God owns. You say, but... It's not fair, I sleep for so many hours. Well, just sleep less. Give him an hour and uh, 1.2 hours of your sleep. And 1.2 hours of your waking time. And don't be a smart aleck. Go to sleep praying and wake up praying and say, there, he's had the whole night. That's <laughs> 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 oh, I've heard all these answers. <laughs> Being a pastor, you hear everything. Turn with me to Psalm 132. Psalm 132, Lord, remember David and his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, 
nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids, until I found out a place for the Lord and a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Uh, David, this was one of David's prayers when he was concerned that he had uh, been building a house for himself and yet there wasn't a house for uh, the ark of the Lord and so he built a tent. Do you remember? And so he goes on, Lo, we have heard of it. At Ephrata, we have found it in the fields of the wood. That's where they found the Ark of the Covenant. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship of his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the Ark of thy strength. Let the pre- thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. Amen. Now, he saw that one of the ministries was shouting. Glory to God. 